Mr. Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton, where I interview somebody who is interesting and fascinating from the wonderful world of education. Now, this is one of the conference takeaway podcasts where we come live from one of the education conferences around the country. This one is MathConf 22, uh, which has been held in Manchester, and I've got an incredibly special guest as my co-host. But before we get to that, we have got a quick word from our sponsors. Cue the fancy music. Through the creative, real-world application of maths and science, UK engineers are at the forefront of finding answers to some of today's biggest challenges, from feeding the world to combating climate change. Engineering is a respected, future-proof profession that is constantly growing in opportunities and demand. It's no wonder that engineering is at the heart of our economy, with around one in five workers in the UK employed by the sector. And yet, recruiting staff with the right skills is the single biggest obstacle that engineering businesses say they face. And so there is an urgent need for more young people to choose to become engineers, especially girls, BAME and disadvantaged pupils who are all significantly underrepresented in the sector. And as teachers, we are at the heart of helping our students do this. And so for pupils who want to use their maths to create, innovate and problem solve, there are many routes into engineering vocational qualifications, apprenticeships and university courses. The government is urging secondary school pupils from all walks of life to take a closer look at engineering. And for a pupil who doesn't know an engineer in real life, and statistically this is more likely to be those from working class or BAME backgrounds, you may well be the first person to identify their potential. So, to find out more about the Engineering Take a Closer Look campaign and how you can encourage the next generation of engineers, search online for Government Engineering Campaign. That's Government Engineering Campaign. And if you would like to sponsor the podcast um, and get your word about your event, product or whatever you like out to thousands of the very best listeners in the world, just go to the podcast show notes page where you can find out all about our sponsor packages available. But anyway, back to today's show. So I am sat here in a school in Manchester. It is Pi Day uh, 2020. It is a Saturday. And I am joined by one of my most popular in-demand previous podcast guest, Miss Danny Quinn. Hello, Danny. Now, I've, I've introduced you just... I'm just taking a sip of water because I was like, I don't want to get nervous, but I'll take a sip of water. So I've now completely ruined that. Perfect, smooth. That's the way we're all. Hi, all-wise. guys. So great to have you back, Danny. Now, Danny, before we dive into what we've been seeing at LaSalle's MathsConf 2022, 20, uh, we first, we cannot go any further without touching upon Michaela's GCSE results. Now, if you remember, you were on the podcast... 
I reckon it's nearly it's three, three years. years I looked at three it. years <laughs> ago, and you were outlining all these crazy ideas. Where <laughs> I know, and they always all were said with so much trepidation. And I was like, we don't know if it's going to work. And obviously, being me, I'm still like, I don't know if it'll work again. Because <laughs> that was um, the big thing, wasn't it? It was. It was. It had never been tested in high stakes exams, and no. you're always anxious about that, weren't you? And yeah. I remember as well. I noticed. Perhaps in the 12 months leading up to this GCSE, you went almost on a bit of lockdown, right? Yeah, I was wondering, I was hoping it wasn't too obvious that I'd kind of not gone into radio silence. We were just so focused on the goal around the result, not the results, the children doing as well as they could um, and getting onto the right path for the next thing afterwards as well. So I think it was just a sense of just wanting to focus on the kids and my team and my school. Um, so yeah, not really going to conferences. I think also just getting so like, obviously people are trying to be you know, they're being supportive and caring. They say, oh, this is a big year for you. And I think, yes, I'll just go get sick at the corner. Because <laughs> I was so, like, it felt so much hinged on it. <laughs> so. Were you, well, obviously nervous. But, like, I mean, just just to, like, get the facts out. So this is your head of maths at Michaela School. And let me get this right. Michaela had the best, what was it? What's the official, official So term? the best progress eight. So the fifth, uh, it was interesting. It was the fifth best progress eight in the country overall. Uh, maths was the, it was the highest maths progress eight, I think. 2.05, wow. I think, the highest in the country. Um, but what was really interesting was actually to, I don't want to say to give credit to the school, but actually contextualise it, because that sounds like, oh, it must be that maths is so good. I mean, obviously, they're all good to be fifth in the country for the whole school. But what was really interesting is every subject had extremely high progress eight. Like, history was one of the best in the country. Science was, I think, third in the country. French was one of the best. French was a progress eight of, like, 2.1-something with having entered four out of five groups. So only, I think, ten children didn't enter for French. So stuff like that. And it was just really interesting. I mean, this will sound... Um, I'm trying to think how to... I, I'm not even trying to say it as a way that sounds positive or negative. What's interesting was, in terms of game playing, because the children only did subjects that are standard GCSE subjects, English, especially my, my own ones, English, Irish, maths, of course, not like English, <laughs> maths, French, history, geography, art, things like that. There weren't any equivalencies whatsoever. We realised we were trying to fill the third bucket with things that no one would ever put in the third bucket, right, like French. No right. one puts French in history in no, the third bucket, no, so no. the killer is that you have to put in bucket two in most <laughs> schools. But we didn't have any of the stuff that you'd yes. use that are kind of either... I mean, because of our building, we can't offer PE, for example, because our building, we can't offer DT, for example, which parents know about. We explain that that's a limit to the offer. But obviously, getting a great education, they're doing, I mean, our kids did only really challenging GCSEs, maths, uh, double science, English, history, art, French, religion, all those things. So it was interesting that it sounds like the maths one is so high, but actually it was for every subject... It was just, we were trying to, from the Progress 8 maximisation point of view, we were kind of playing the game badly in that we were using, like, French yes. as the eighth one, which is hard to do when, with the with cohort we had. Jeez. And, like, and this is going to sound bad, don't take this the wrong way, but you obviously were nervous, but you must have known, you must have had that sense from mock exams and stuff, it was going to come out good. Was it just you were surprised No, not, how... not from the mock exams, oh, actually. Really? It was very... Um, the even <laughs> even by March, I was expecting every kid will. I was expecting progress rate of about zero point five, right. just based on mocks and things. Like it definitely snowballed. I mean, we'd always been gambling on building up a snowball that like going slowly through number, building those foundations in year seven, going slowly through algebra, building those foundations year eight, that it would accelerate. And it was just incredible acceleration in the final six months, yes. which was um, really interesting to see. 
how much so, so it was really white knuckle right to the very end I mean I remember spending most of the summer being almost kind of like angry because I was thinking I just totally messed this up because we, ne- we didn't do any more mocks after we didn't really do any mocks, mocks after February I, don't, I can't remember we didn't do that many uh, we never did a full set of mocks where they sat all three papers in the exam conditions because it's just that's learning time um, and that would have taken up six lessons so we didn't in that sense we don't really know obviously mocks can't tell you very you know it's kind of a mugs game and it was so interesting looking at data from for example mocks we'd done in February and how we had like one boy he'd gotten a four in February he got a nine in summer another girl got a five in February she got a four in summer another girl got a four in February got a four in summer loads of them have gone up by three grades most of them have gone up by three grades between February and summer so I kind of I mean I don't know other schools seem to have a down to a science or an art or whatever I've kind of concluded that it's a bit of a mugs game, or at least at the individual level. Data yes. seems to tell us at the cohort level, maybe you can read into the data. At the individual level, I'm not really sure. That's interesting. So, again, listeners are keen for, for the secrets of Michaela's <laughs> successes. So we, we've got one little nugget there that you didn't do many of the kind of multiple mocks that lots of lots of schools do, and as you say, it kind of eats into lesson time. Any other things that... Now, we know Michaela's kind of quite unique mm. in its setting, that it's a quite... It's got kind of like a cultural thing that if you're an individual teacher listening it's hard to implement a lot yeah, of the strategy of straight away but is there anything that you think that was particularly significant in contributing to the success so i'd say in terms of whole school stuff you could potentially still i'm trying to I mean it depends obviously on your school's culture and your own beliefs and the way that you interpret well some of the things i'll talk about will come through the lens of people's mm. beliefs so one of the examples i know we talked about three years ago and this really became very clear um, at, the, at, the, at the stage of getting closer to GCSEs was that you had to protect the hive to protect the bees. So looking after the culture and the environment of all the children in the whole class, I don't want to say it matters more than individually. Obviously, make sure that individuals getting good teaching, being treated with dignity and respect, feeling cared about, that you love their success, all that stuff like, I love each of you individually, I love your success, I care about how you're doing. But if one child's disengaged or demotivated even if it's like the day before the exam, if one child is sucking up time and you're desperately like, oh, come on, God, come on, you're on the borderline, you could do it. Yes. Not letting that, not losing your eye, the mission is all 120, not the one child, even when it's the day before the exam. So, not, so even if it's that one kid making that balance of having you in this lesson is disrupting 31 people and it's the day before the exam and I'm desperate to be the lesson and obviously you know the teacher will come and be like alright come with me come on let's do some work in the room obviously don't upset them or set them off and you'll go in after your lesson and talk to them like come on this is it you know you could do it and helping the picture opening the envelope and all that and like taking that time to build the relationship outside a lesson but continuing to see lessons as sacrosanct to the very yes. very end which I think really was hard to hold our nerve on to have this sense of not letting children feel we were ever desperate for them to be in our lessons like we were desperate to see their success but never even up to the end not letting them feel they had it over us yes. not because most children obviously most children don't see the relationship with the adults in that way and they just want to do well for themselves and they I mean probably by the time they take their exams they don't like their <laughs> subjects anymore but you know they'd want it for themselves but a small number of children who are disengaged the fact that you're desperate for them to do well is something they can hold over you and hold you kind of the whole class hostage over that and there is such a strong message, you know, don't let one child hold the class hostage, even if, I mean, exam pressure means it can just be, 
you know, they're showing their worst side of themselves because they're stressed and upset and being like, even if it's the day before the exam, if you have to ask a child to leave the lesson, tell them to leave the lesson. Wow. And, be, and the standard that you have in year seven for that is the standard you have on the last day of year 11. So if a child has turned around three times to make a moronic face, they have dis- disrupted people three times yes. when those could be the marks that put someone else, put, that could put five people over the borderline. So this one child has to go revise on their own now for the rest of the hour, which is it's really a big, hard. Big call, isn't yeah, it? it's really hard to stay feeling that way to the end because you're so you feel so tied to those individuals by things you've been with them for so long and you just feel such... And especially as well, because the kids will be getting anxious and yeah, exactly. behaviour that's not normal for them will start yeah, to exactly, bubble to exactly. the Yeah, exactly, exactly. I don't want to say we saw sides of them we hadn't seen. We saw them experiencing extreme stress, which yes. I mean, I don't mean because it was our school. We Obviously, we tried to... I mean, it's the first time there's just something incredibly high stakes that they can't... That You know, in school, you make a mistake and you get in trouble because you didn't do your homework. But then it's just every day is a blank slate, obviously. Yes, so every yes. lesson is a blank slate. Every hour is a blank slate. Which, I mean, sometimes every 10 minutes is a blank <laughs> slate. And it's the first time for them... I mean, you know this for every kid in the country. It's the first time something is... Well, amongst the first time something is just never going to be a blank slate. And that's, yes. So, of course, every child's really stressed in that time. And that's how you can end up lowering your standards for them and communicate at the end, like, I will accept any... I will accept you being a bad version of yourself, which actually we can't let them, wow. we can't let the other children see that. So that's a whole school culture thing, which yes. having the back of a head teacher helps. But I think for you with your exam classes, continuing to think how much does my desire and care for one child potentially affect 30 children? Mm. Because actually it's the sum of all their successes that will matter not just the yes. one because it might be you help that one kid go from a three to a four or you know maybe that also that's great because it helps them unlock some doors that might be what helps that kid scrape a three or scrape a five but could you could that have cost other children sixes or fours or whatever and you have, yes. it's easy because that child feels very obviously vulnerable because they're really angry or upset or stressed but other children are maybe angry or upset or stressed and they're just keeping it together and you're not reacting to them and giving yes. them what they need so it's feeling that way and letting yourself or forcing yourself to stay goal focused in that kind of way and focusing on the entire community to the end because also even if they have to ask that child to leave the lesson they still know they still have a consistent expectation of when they're in the lesson what to expect right at the end so actually you're not changing the emotional setup because even for some of the children they're changing emotionally but if we also change emotionally that creates part of the chaos that you have coming mm. up to exams and part of the high things just being too high because everyone's changing emotionally so actually staying emotionally constant to the end of these will always be expectations this is always a safe dignified learning environment where I always expect you to let other people behave shouldn't change just because our stakes are so high now in fact it matters more than ever so that's that's fascinating that's a big one so probably that in terms of things specific to the department that probably can be even if you don't have school leadership that makes it possible things that we do that we focus on a lot is we use equations for everything everything we possibly can ratio we turn into equations so let's say it was um ibrahim and muad shared some money in the ratio three to seven muad got four pounds uh, sorry muad got four pounds 20 more than ibrahim how much did ibrahim get they'd set it up as 3x to 4x and we talk oh, a lot right. about difference part. Is this do you ha- and there's always a taxonomy of have you got a total, have you got a part, or have you got a difference? In this case, I- Muad got four got more four pounds twenty more than Ibrahim. So you say the difference four x. You write four x equals four twenty. I know four x. I want 
what do I, I want 3x or that kind of thing. So set up one equation that you've got, 4x equals 4 pounds 20, and one equation that you've only got half of it, 3x equals something. So you scale down to x, scale up to 3. So we'd use that for ratio, we could use it for percentages. Um, you know, it's been reduced by 30% and now cost blah, what was the original? We know 70% set it up, we want 100% set it up. Or what was the reduction? I want 30%. Now that's interesting because you'd have a lot of schools who would do the same but would do it with bar modelling all the way. Well, yeah, what? so we didn't use bars because we found that they, the children were getting very boggled with negatives and with powers and things ah, like that. Got, again, yes. they were getting messed up. So we ended up deciding to teach almost everything through equations, wow. including... Uh, I remember we talked before about angles and perimeter and some mm. of that stuff we use for number. We decided to strip it down to only uh, finding totals for that. So stuff like in year seven, they only do uh, finding angle sums or finding perimeters or finding areas but not finding parts because we realised things like, let's say you give the children an isosceles triangle and they're given the, uh, about to say the lonely angle, you know, the, the, the angle that's opposite the other side is 40 and they're asked to find the missing, you know, one of the two equal angles X. And very bright children are like, oh, obviously, just take 180, mm. take 40, half it. And they can just see it. But loads of children can't just see it. And you can start showing them why. But then they're, they're memorizing that as if it's an isosceles, do all these things. Yes. Whereas if they've already learned how to set up and solve equations, it's so easy to f you know, fill in. Then it's always the same. Fill in every thing you don't know. It's X. Set up an equation. Simplify the equation. Solve the equation. And then that always, and like, what is it we know? We know 180, so I can set it up. Yes. And that works for everything, whether it's... Well, just a lot of problems can be set up as equations, and, that's and, that, and that helps. That helped us when we went through exams, starting to look at like where's where's the potential for an equation? This just to help them visualize what was going on and visualize parts that were equal, and even looking for keywords like something is something, the area is. We're like, okay, it's going to be area equals something, and stuff like that. And I imagine, especially when you say that the brighter students, that's going to be frustrating at first, right? Because it slows it slows them down. But how do you kind of sell, how do you sell it? So, in that sort of thing, it was. I mean, obviously, there are a lot more other rich things we do as sure. well, but this is just to, in terms of the core strategies we pursued mm. quite relentlessly to make sure that they always, to also make sure they didn't feel like they're learning lots of methods and yes. lots of rules. Yes. So a kid might say, let's say it's their they say, oh, miss, I just do it, I just do 180, take 40, and then I half and say, oh, interesting, let's, let's write that as algebra, 180 minus 40 all over 2. Let's, let me do this equation. Xbox like, oh, look, the first one I did was I took 40. Oh, look, next I halved it. Oh, you did the same thing. It's just yeah, like the equation. Nice. Help them see that they had, like, that they are algebraic thinking, you know, that yes, they're insofar yes. as they're thinking about the reasoning and saying, oh, that's so cool, that's like a cool way you thought of that. Years. I mean, you know, yeah. you, you act very excited all the time <laughs> about everything they do. So helping them see that, not that they hadn't been original, um, but helping them see that they weren't doing something different, that they had just helping them feel like, oh, look, it was so yes. intuitive for you, you can formalize it if you need it. It's helping them see that they are capable of that formal thought. Uh, and it's cool that they're able to do it. That's <laughs> do that. interesting. And um, yeah, um, got anything else? And then I have got a um, question for you. Oh, with algorithms, we weirdly go for ones that are high success rather than high understanding, which I know sounds so oh, wow. off. I know. No, I, no, I nearly didn't off. mention it. But we I haven't thought. been controversial <laughs> yet, so yeah, go for so it. So something like multiplication, we've gone for, for example, we tried those methods. There's the grid method, the loads. We decided going for column, which is like the most boring one um, because we found that the children had more success with column than any other with grid even though grid has so many beautiful things about mm. it obviously to sell it we found that the weakest children really struggled to set up a grid where they didn't model the numbers like oh. let's say especially you've got something like 300 times 600 or in particular something like 500 times 2000 and then they just weren't drawing grids big enough to fit all the zeros in yes, or yes, yes. they would then find it hard to afterwards have to set up an addition so we're finding there was there was more a higher failure rate and mm -hmm. we think where there's a high failure rate there's no hope that there's going to be a high understanding so because 
the, I don't mean ego as in, as in like they are egotistical, but their sense of ego as maths peop, as mathemati- mathematicians, quote, quote marks, is going to be so depleted that the idea of then moving to understanding is so limited. So yes. we preferred to go for high understanding, sorry, high success algorithms so they felt successful and then use stuff like a grid as an illumination later to reinforce oh. understanding and reinforce why the algorithm worked rather than to use those algorithms. The same with bus stop. We prefer to we use bus stop for division, even though it's understanding-wise definitely not optimal. Um, like bus stop is just like magic. Uh, I mean, obviously you can show some why it works, but yeah. it's like whoa. <laughs> like, it's kind of intense why the bus stop works, but the bus stop is very high success. Yes. Um, so that's why we stuck with it. So even though, and we ju- and we so we just in some things we decided to cut loose and just say they have to be, if they fail this algorithm, they're going to feel like failures. Yes. So we have to ha- have a high success algorithm that works for the weakest child who can't, who struggles to organize on the page, in particular children who struggle with um, fine motor skills. So that's the reason that we go for that. I'm trying to think, we're really, really heavy. Oh, this is probably the biggest thing actually, oh. is um, in the way that people teach, there's the biggest emphasis in lessons. Um, and I think this is kind of the main focus of my most recent blog is, not to say questions like, let's say you're solving an equation, I'll make it the easy one to picture, like 4x plus 3 equals 11, instead of saying, uh, I'm going to subtract, I'm, I'm going to take 3, what's 11 take 3? Craig, 8, because that's a pointless question, saying things like, what have I got here? An equation. So they can't tell you it's an equation, then they can't tell you what you have to, mm. what it means to solve, because children look at something like 4x plus 3 and they try to solve it by getting x equals 3 over, you know, and kids yes. like are simplifying and then they magically start solving in the middle. And yes, like, no. yes. <laughs> um, so first of all, even checking, they can express what they can see in front of them and then say, okay, we're going to solve the equation. What's it mean if we want to solve the equation? We want to isolate x. What's it mean if we're going to isolate x? x is going to be on its own. So lots of stuff where you're asking almost not so open that it's like, what do we do? Because that doesn't help at all. But questions where there's very little clue about the answer yes. unless they actually know. So what have we got is a focused question, but there's very little clue in it. And are you doing this one-to-one question? No, with the whole class, but you might pause. You see, pause, so it'd be like, what have we got here, Craig? Or you might have say, um, show on your whiteboards an equation. Um, okay, we're going to solve it. What do you expect to have happen? Tell your partner. And you can hear them all say, I said <laughs> yeah, X yeah, yeah. or whatever. Um, and they might ask someone, like, what's it mean to I said X? Always saying the name second and counting a few seconds to force everyone to feel they have to be able to... Yes. A bit of thinking time, not just accountability. We don't want them to think you have to be fast to be good. Mm. Um, but then saying, okay, what, what do we use to help us solve? We use, I mean, I hate this word, but SMEG, opposite of GEMS, so inverse order of operations. Uh, how do we know? Why do we use SMEG? So getting, I mean, this is after we've modeled, this is um, just helping, big focus on what we do, why do we do it? Uh, we're solving an equation. It's the opposite of doing the calculation, we're undoing the calculation. So instead of GEMS, we're going to use SMEG because it's the inverse, so making sure they can always articulate what they're doing, why. Um, so then even then articulating why are they going to subtract three first and, make it, and being strict every single time of saying subtract three from both sides. Yes. So just teeny things like that being, so even I'm trying to think about um, with my year 11s yesterday, we were looking at a really horrible speed distance time question that they didn't like and saying, okay, what sort of, uh, what's the first thing we're going to do? And they all looked at it and said, we're going to highlight the final bit where it says what we have to get. We have to get the, di- we have to get the speed. So they were like, we've been told to find speed, so we're going to write a list of the things we need. For speed, we need time and distance. And they know to write little check boxes, time, tick, distance, or total time, yes. box, total distance, box. So then it gives them a focus of, like, okay, now we're going to dissect. Where's all the information we can use for distance? Then they go to draw a diagram and so on. There's a lot of, as soon as you look at it, what are all the strategies you have to break down what we've got? Um, how did you know what to do? Why did you do it? Because I think a lot of the time we show examples 
an even example problem pairs. It's like, I do it, now you do it. And then the gap in the middle is, how did you know to do it? Yes. So a huge amount of the teaching is on what things on the page tell you to know to do it. So mm. even, you may recall from the, whichever was the first year, of, I've just gone blank, when was the first year of the exams, it would have been 2017? Yes. I there was so. a lovely question in the first paper, there was a frame that was a rectangle with a diagonal in it. This is at Excel. And a lot of the children thought it was an area question, it was actually a frame made of wire. So, oh, yes. so it was actually a length question, you yes, found the diagonal and add that on. So a lot of practice afterwards that of how do we know to do lengths? Oh, because you buy the wire per meter, not per meter squared. Mm -hmm. So helping them under, it was actually quite ambiguous question. So they said it was made of metal strips. So they actually pictured the strips yeah. as two dimensional. So I could totally uh, sympathize with the kids feeling that way. We looked, but then there was a lot of focusing on the units of that wire was sold per meter. So it must be per, and we talked to them about like, that's a linear unit, it's the power of one, it must be lines. So we talked to them a lot about why that means that a power of two, we know it's an area question. So just how to like, see all these clues to give to us to know what to do yeah I, i'll tell you what Danny, what i think and i don't mean this to come out the wrong way what i think maybe you take a bit for granted is the, yeah. fact, the fact that like this is a whole your whole department's doing this right yeah. it's like a collective thing yeah. like, i remember when i first interviewed you three years ago it was you and greg ashman who were the first people who opened my eyes to the fact that a department would literally make these kind of granular decisions that we are going to, as you say, teach everything with, well, as much as we can with equations. We are going to teach this in this way, this in this way. Like, this is a big thing for you, isn't it? That yeah. you, make a you make a decision and everyone in your department's following Yeah, that's it. massive. That's definitely a really big thing. Because it also matters that, like, if I get a class in your 10, that I can rely on these things having happened. Yes. Um, and vice versa. So it's a biggie. So I say that's probably the final thing that makes it so different is a sense of goal focus that everything's about. I don't want to call it maximizing grades because that sounds so denuded. It's sort of understanding that we can only get the best grades if we're also developing their character. Because mm. most, I mean, you can't. I mean, you can. You, I guess you could set up an exam factory where you help the kids all like meet their target that they need to get for progress eight zero. You know, whatever for like to pass, but getting the kids to actually do way more than might have been expected of them and they may have expected themselves is you can't do that unless they're actually really committed as people as kids to doing the best they can and to really thinking hard and I think the exams are so hard now that the only way to do it was to develop them as thinkers and to develop their resilience and to develop their sense of obligation to each other to support each other because of a lot of working in your pairs and stuff like that so I feel it did marry with our other goals as teachers about developing them as people and as good people in their community and so on um, and one of the metrics was the exams, but they felt like it would be a reasonable metric of everything. So we knew that they couldn't get such good results unless they were actually good to work with, with each other. Final question before we, we talk maths conference. Um, did you do anything different in terms of revision in the build to exams, or was it just teaching? Because obviously you're mm. going to finish the content at some point. Was there a deliberate decision we are going to revise in a certain we way? We finished the content extremely late. With my class, I finished the content uh, two days before the exam. Oh, wow. <laughs> but you're doing kind of re your retrieval. Exactly, we're doing retrieval that. from day one. So we knew that we'd dedicated over the years 30% of our time to revision wow. and retrieval. So 30%. Um, so I knew that it was wasn't like we hadn't revised until two days before the and exam. And when you say 30%, Danny, that's 30% of lesson time is Yeah, dedicated. so either doing testing or preparing for testing or do revision or starters. It's probably more like 40% because of starter booklets that are mixed practice and things like that. And obviously all the, I mean, not obviously, sorry, but examples like when we're doing one thing with them, we're always trying to draw how it links to other stuff. Yes. For example, with circle theorems like you saw today. So revision's happening all the time. 
Um, so it was obviously my year level. So it was a part of me being like, which will happen first, the exam or finishing the course? I don't know. I, and it, I mean, it was, they were like, um, one of my colleagues said in a funny way, he said they're the bottom set of hire because it's the kids who, um, in terms of what was expected of them, for th- they would have had a progress rate of zero if they'd all gotten threes and fours. So it was quite funny wow. entering them for hire. It's yes. like, let's try, guys. Let's see what Jeez. happens. <laughs> um, and it was fine in the end. Um, but that obviously it takes a very long time to get those sort of yeah, kids through the course. The course is massive. But again, um, that's, but that's, that's like a big shift as well because the way I used to teach it was let's get through the course and now let's start revision. But it's completely wrong, isn't it? That well, way? at least it's, that sort of it seems wrong in terms of what we've seen work for mm, us. Mm. So we are revising all the time, but that also by revising, by mixing in with other stuff, gives them forgetting times to return to things as well. Yes. So it takes advantage of lots of other stuff. I say the only thing we did differently is the group one and group two and uh, the two foundation groups finished the course obviously a lot earlier. Mine mm. was the only totally, <laughs> totally white knuckle one. Um, was the final two weeks before the exam, we didn't do any really hard stuff with them. It was almost like marathon training. We actually oh. really ticked it down to just building up confidence. So like, for example, the morning of the exam was all just... Um, can you still remember how to factorize a quadratic? But not, yes. not like no, nothing fancy or messy, everything just around building up their confidence. Because we knew that sitting there for an hour and a half was going to be an exhausting experience. Yes. We wanted them to go, like we'd, anything that would have made them stressed in the week leading up to it and made them stay up late out of stress was a nightmare. Because we thought in the final week, it's so much worse if they stay up late now. Sleep, yeah, sleep is so much more useful to them yes. at this stage. Um, then, I mean, if any, I mean, the only kids in my group, for example, who did badly compared to my expectations or my hopes for them were two boys whose mums had bought them iPhones at the start of exams as a present. Oh, so, at the start? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, so that's a gift. Um, so I can, under- oh, no. like, I can understand the like, extremely short term mod- motivation there. Um, but both of those boys had given up their phones earlier in the year, which is an amazing achievement. Oh. So I guess their mums is like a gift or to, you know, they're trying to, like, I understand. But obviously those boys were just exhausted, of course, because yes. the iPhone's incredibly exciting. To, and they hadn't had it in a month because they'd given yes, them up, yes. which it meant they'd made great progress. But of course, in the exams, they were so exhausted. Like some of them, I saw like I could see through the glass that they were falling asleep in their papers. It's like great, five years have gone down the drain because you're tired. So that's part of why we actually really dialed things down. The closer we got to the papers, we thought the absolute nightmare is you stay up till three a.m. revising or stressed. It's fascinating. We've got a good little teaser there, Dennis. We've got Mark Healy coming back on the show to oh, talk yeah. all about sleep. And I sleep was wondering when you're going to get your yeah, sl- more sleep so. stuff. <laughs> so, no, so I gather it's your like pet thing. <laughs> it is, yeah, and I'm not getting enough. See, I'm switching your parent. <laughs> And final question, Danny. Um, exam papers. How many? I mean, how many like practice papers um, did the kids do? Was that a big part of the revision? Weirdly, no. Like group one probably did almost every paper by the end. Group two probably got about three quarters, and my group probably got half the papers That's practiced. I mean, yes. I would have liked to have practiced more. That would yes. have really helped them. Um, but you thought other things were more valuable. I thought it was partially. It's, I'm trying to think. I mean, that was just a time constraint. I would have liked to have more time. Um, it was not quite random what they were or weren't good at. I mean, for example, they loved quadratic sequences. Turns out they really hated some quite easy stuff. So it was kind of hit and miss what they were or weren't going to like, were or weren't going to like in terms of cutting the course down for them. Um, also, the papers are just incredibly time-consuming. Mm. You send them home to do it, but you don't know how much of it's their own work because yes. some of them will copy each other. The least motivated will copy each other. They're also completely on their own. They can't get help. So it's giving you... I mean, if you're trying to use them to get data, it's yeah, kind of it's meaningless. Really yes. So we, we realised that it was far more useful to go through a paper, blitz through a paper 
with them, see what they're stuck on, and then retest them on similar questions a few days later, because yes. that made them feel much more accountable for like, oh God, I better actually learn it. Um, so that slowed us down with using papers. We were trying to get more out of them to increase our accountability. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right, Danny. Well, we best talk about Math Conference. That was fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating stuff, by the way. Math Conference we, was so good today. <laughs> it was, you know, we should say for listeners, we don't know if we're going to get kicked out of here at any stage. Yeah. And anything could happen here. Anything could happen. So we'll, we'll do our best. First thing to say is, and if we listen back to this in future years, we've got to remember, we are at the start of this health crisis, aren't we? This, yeah. We don't know what's going to happen here. Uh, we, the coronavirus is, is bombing around the place. Um, very surprised that this is on today. Mark McCourt, who organised it, has done an amazing job just mm. getting this on. Um, lots of people haven't turned up, um, mm. understandably so. Yeah, um, especially people who are already a bit ill. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But it was still, I don't know, over 100 people here. It was a great atmosphere, considering, and, and everyone's done an amazing job just, just putting this yeah. on. And they're wonderful. We, we talk about them all the time. The maths conferences are just wonderful, wonderful yeah. things. So, Danny, now, um, we have been to di- pretty much different uh, different workshops throughout yeah. the day. So why don't you start? Where, who did you go and see... Uh, so the first thing I went to is I actually was going to go to one workshop and then couldn't, because, well, not I couldn't, I got convinced in the speed dating. <laughs> I talked to someone from LaSalle and they convinced me of so much of the importance of autograph, which I know they've so generously made free for all schools. Yes. And the Key Stage 5 teachers in my school, unsurprisingly, completely love it. So I thought, okay, I need to get over my prejudices and I need to go <laughs> and go to this workshop. And um, um, it worked really well. Douglas, who was running it, he was advised to stay at home by his uh, daughter-in-law. So he was actually running it from a web link, oh, which is, really? he did a really good job. <laughs> he did a really good job running from a web link. There was, uh, Leona was running it as well. She was in the room with us. Um, but as a result, it had been a small workshop because of, as you say, people be, not being here today. Yes. And there were so many beautiful things. In particular, I loved thinking about, um, I love the way that you could set up stuff, for example, a triangle where you fix the base and you can slide the height along so it becomes, you know, the the, the apex of the triangle could be really far over to the left. You slide yes. it along, you see the area's constant. Yes. Or you can double the height, you see the area double. You can even flip the apex down so it's like an upside down yes. triangle and you can see the constant area. So many things like that that were so lovely. Uh, obviously, they've got some really good stuff for... Um, showing lines and how they change. They've got a really nice function I hadn't seen before called trace, which is, let's say you've got a quadratic and you've got a setup and you pick a specific point that you fix and then you start sliding. So let's say you start getting B to increase and as the graph appears to shift, that single point, the path that follows is highlighted yes. and it gets darker. So if a certain point gets moved over more than once, it will get darker. So you can see, you can see also, you can imagine that movement as well if something's getting repeated. So the trace was a really nice function. The way that things get laid was really nice as well. So I saw some really nice things um, that I know that I spent my workshop talking about why I don't show dynamic stuff, but it was really clear how it would illuminate some of those things. The main thing I've had that I thought about at the end was I may just be really bad at this sort of thing. I'm very slow at learning this stuff and it reinforced for me that I'm definitely very anxious about showing this to the kids because I know that I was so focused on how to make things work and the only reason I was noticing the maths is because I already know what maths I want to notice. Mm. Um, it did. It didn't. They weren't trying to say this in the workshop. This is not the workshop leaders. I've never left from these workshops convinced that letting the children. I mean, people say, "Oh, let the kids play around with it," which I understand. And maybe this is because I go to such an obsessive school. I'm like, "But will they be focused for what they attend to? <laughs> what about the time? What, what, what about the like the opportunity cost?" So maybe it's like reflects the demented view <laughs> we have in my department. Um, 
obviously understand the, I sympathize with the view of let them play around with it because they'll get better at the tech. But I, will, I just thought, I'm not sure they'll get any better at the maths through mm. playing around versus if I'm at the front and I say, what do you want me to try next? And like, let them play around with it via you where you can pause yes. and help them attend to things. I still felt that would be how I'd use it, but I don't know if that's really depressing for people who love... I don't know, have you used it very much in your lessons? Yeah, well, so I I, I was one of the... So I've written two autograph textbooks back in oh, my Oh, yes, back of in course, I forgot. Years, so I'm a big, big autograph <laughs> um, But I'll tell you what's interesting, Danny. So and this goes to something you said in, in your workshop, that I think we both agree that a problem with dynamic geometry software is once something's changed, mm. you've nothing to compare it back mm-hmm. to. So, And I make this point in, in my book when I talk about the um, demonstration yeah. activities in my book that I never just have a single example on the yeah, screen. You've yeah, always got to have that, that base yeah. example to compare it to because otherwise you're expecting students that, as you say, they just concentrate on oh, a pretty pictures whizzing around or a constant's moving up yeah. and down. But they, without that kind of base example to compare it to, you're asking for trouble. So I always have, if it's autograph, uh, Desmos, Jojibra, I'll always have split screen going on, so to take your circle theorems, if I was doing angle at the centre I'd have a, a, a fixed angle at the centre on the left, an identical one on the right, and then we could start moving the one on the right so we've always got the thing to compare mm-hmm. it back to, because otherwise it looks pretty, we think kids are noticing something, but unless they've got that thing to compare it to, it's, it's problematic, isn't it? Does that make sense? Definitely, and I was thinking about, I remember in my law school, uh, Laura, who's the head of English, she, one of the strategies she wanted us to use with supporting the kids reading in any subject was before reading a piece, I mean, obviously it would vary, I imagine in English it would change a bit more, was to tell them what to focus on. Yes. So if you're reading a paragraph or something, let's say I was reading with my form, or now when I'm reading with my, uh, my classes in maths, I'll tell them what I want them to attend to in the reading. Mm. And I really thought about that with when I've been showing the kids things, like telling them I mean, obviously there's fun open stuff where it's like, what do you notice? But, but I've realised that can end up being frustrating for the children. Yes. And if you have an actual goal, tell them what to pay attention to so they notice it. Otherwise, some of them notice and you go, yeah, well done. But of course, 90% of the class haven't seen it. Or you might show it again, but then they've lost any sense of discovery because someone else has already seen it yes. and said the whole thing. Yes. Whereas it's sort of, I think, a happy compromise is notice what happens to this angle or notice the relationship between these two parts and notice what happens to the area or that kind of thing, or uh, even better, asking them to predict, like, I'm going to slide yeah, the apex over here, what do you think is going right. to happen? And you could do a little vote, who thinks will increase, decrease, not sure, that kind of thing. You could use a bit of reflect, expect, check, explain, uh-huh. Danny, if you're on brand. <laughs> well, I've been, I have been doing a lot more, of the, I've been making my class use the word reflect now. Oh, no, I've been making them use um, predict. I'm one of the predict people. They love that. I can see uh, reflect, predict, expect, explain coming yes. out. Um, I'll tell you what I was going to say, Danny. Um, the the analogy I draw, just going back to this point about having two examples um, with dynamic software to compare back to, is like if you don't, if you just have this single example and you're changing a constant or you're using a dynamic plot or trace or something, it's like having a sequence of varied questions Mm -hmm. but as soon as kids answer one it just disappears and then you answer the second one and you just lose, you'd never do that with algebraic examples or ratio or anything so why would you ever do it with dynamic geometry software but everybody Mm. does it because Mm. you only ever have that single screen and it it really made me reflect on that when I was when I was writing the book that the whole power of variation is kids having something to compare to so that's got to be it's got to be visible and be able to look back and forth and point to what changed and discuss what changed because they can flick back and forth
Hello. Right, in a new twist, we are now find ourselves in a new location. We've been booted out, as we suspected we would have been, out of the school. We are now, Danny, in your Premier Inn room, but it's not just any Premier Inn, right? <laughs> what is Premier Inn Plus that we've gone for? It is, so it means that instead of the same wall art, you get a unique piece of wall art, which makes you feel totally discombobulated. <laughs> and you've also got chocolates, a coffee machine, <laughs> fancy sheets. And the... Hand wash is still screwed to the wall, but it's a nicer hand wash that's been screwed to the wall. <laughs> so we can, I mean, if Premier Inn want to sponsor this podcast, uh, you are more than welcome. But we're quite impressed with Premier Inn Plus, aren't we, so far? And, and I get a better view of the railway, which I do, which I do appreciate. <laughs> so we've got everything, everything going for it. Right, anyway, so let's go back to what we're talking about. So Danny has talked about what she did, period one. Period one, I went to see, now I hope I pronounce this right, Catherine Van. Now, what would you go for here? It's S-A-A-L-O-O-S. Salus. Is it Dutch? I assume. Salus. Salus. Let's go for Salus. Let's go for that (laughs) now. (laughs) Um, On Twitter, she's known as Cormath's Cat. Now, let me tell you why I went to see her, Danny. Joe Morgan has picked Catherine out as the next big thing in terms of presenting. She could not have spoken highly enough of her. Joe is always pushing the kind of high-profile female speakers yeah. and so on and so forth. She said, you've got to go and see her, and I'm, I'm pleased I did. She was absolutely brilliant, absolutely mm. brilliant. So I should apologise here. I've got a bit of a, <coughs> a bit of a cough, so I just have a drink of water. But not a dry cough, so it's fine. Not dry, so yeah, I should make it through here. Um, so her title of the talk was Percentages Through the Key Stages. Now, Catherine, we actually spoke about this session, me and Joe, when we did the MEI conference takeaways, and it was all about a kind of big showpiece was... Um, primary school yeah. kids and I think year 13 kids attempting the same percentage questions and it was scary nice. it was nice. scary and she showed a video of that so if you want to hear more from that check out the MEI conference takeaway podcast so the, so the A-level <coughs> ones have to have been pupils who had done well at GCSE well this was the scary thing some of them were further mathematicians don't they? <laughs> and they were oh, do- we it have, was- yeah we've even for us some of our further math students are doing are struggling so much more than the yeah, well, it was yeah. Really, and they were it like again. I, I won't spoil the surprise because um, you can listen to the MEI. But they were doing it was like ninety nine percent of two hundred, and they were doing like crazy methods. Or what was it? Five percent of a number is seven. What's ten percent of a number? Oh and they were gosh. like, can I have a calculator? How do I do this? They were setting up oh, e- setting up equations. Maybe they've been to Michaela. Maybe they were equations. Well, that should have been an easy one. I know five. How do I get ten? <laughs> this, uh, oh it my was goodness. crazy. It was crazy. But um, so as I said, we, we'd already spoken about that. But the thing, um, the thing I wanted to speak about here was the different complexities of percentage questions mm. that kids get given and where they appear from. So she presented one, two, three, four, five, six, seven percentage questions, and I'll put these on the show notes page. And the game you had to play was, where do they come from? Are they SATs, GCSE oh, Foundation, nice. GCSE yeah, High, yeah. and so on and so forth. So a couple of facts for you here, Danny. When, so I'll put you on the spot here, <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll be regretting doing this now. When do kids first meet percentages for the first time? Oh, what what year in primary? Primaries change. So they do 50% really early on. Um, <clears throat> I was quite surprised by this. I don't know if this. they do 100% weirdly, or they must, may I So when do they first meet the symbol, do you reckon? Oh, probably something really unexpectedly early, like year two or three. Well, I was surprised by this. Year five. Oh. Year five, I know. So I imagine many of them will have encountered I guess they do fractions and decimals so early, and they say things like 50, 50. Yeah, okay, yeah. year five. So okay. year five, year five they meet it, but then here's the big twist, right? So they meet it for the first time in year five, and then by the end of year six, this is what it states, the goal, 
um, in the specifications, pupils should be fluent in working with fractions, decimals and percentages. So you go from <laughs> having met it in year five to you've nailed it by the end of year six. God, I mean, the curriculum is, the, the, the national curriculum is, <clears throat> well, there are two such crazy things. I was about to say, gosh, the primary curriculum is so much better. It's clear what's meant to happen year on year. Whereas for us, key stage three is this three-year total free-for-all, yeah, exactly which makes right. it so hard to assess across schools but then of course they have a slightly more prescriptive curriculum year by year but it's still insane it's wow. mental it's absolutely <laughs> fluent mental. fluent so they're are fluent. we fluent <laughs> <laughs> so then you get so key stage three the only new thing there is percentage change you get your increase decrease and reverse but and then reverse but then by key stage four oh, sorry. Oh, key stage three key stage, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. but then by key stage four there's nothing new for them to nothing new for them to learn compounding there's, I, sub- I guess it's key stage three, though, right? I guess it's just kind of repeated. Yeah. I guess it yeah. depends where, where, you, where you teach it. But in theory, yeah. by the time they've got to year nine, <laughs> they've met everything they need to meet. And then obviously, in key stage five, particularly in core maths, again, nothing new comes in percentages, but that's when it's all in context and so on yeah. and so forth. Kids struggle. So I'll put all these questions up um, on the show notes, but I just wanted to give you a bit of a sample of this. So Megan kindly wrote down where these are all from. So or I'll give you... I suppose one of the things you said, they're using logarithms, so things like how many years something would have taken yes. can be done as a logarithm. So in that, so respect, like a growth or decay question good can twist. be. That, yeah, that's good it. Twist. Sorry, I was, yeah. just, I, was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking, there must be something, I know there's something. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're absolutely Sorry to right. interrupt there. No, good, good, good. No, you're right. Good intervention there. So, right. I'll give you an example. So this would be something from Key Stage 2 SATs. A cat sleeps for 12 hours a day. Therefore, 50% of its life is spent to sleep. Fill in the missing percentage. A koala sleeps for 18 hours a day. And it's blank percent of its life is spent to sleep. So it's kind of percentage of an amount, but in a bit of a context, you've yeah. got to know. And you can either scale it up, tw- how do you scale from 12 to 18, <coughs> or you can do 18 out of 24. So yeah. fairly, you know, fairly yeah, sophisticated, yeah. fairly sophisticated yeah. stuff. Um, then you get an example of um, GCSE Foundation. So I'll give you this one. This is GCSE Foundation. There are 800 children at a school. Each student has either a dinner or a packed lunch. Classic setup. 31% of the kids have packed lunches. 55% of the students are boys. 60% of the boys oh, have school yeah. dinners. How many girls have packed lunches? So you might use a frequency tree. You might use a two-way <coughs> table. Yeah, and what she said, she showed us the examiner's report, and it was really pleasing. Even though it doesn't mention frequency tree or, or two-way table, most of the kids um, knew to do that, which is interesting. Quite, quite reassuring. As interesting as well, because thirty-one and fifty-five, because they don't sum to more than a hundred, I can see some kids. Interesting. Exactly, exactly. And then, what about a GCSE higher one for you? Ready? So I suppose well, the foundation one, obviously, they were given the total, which did help them because yes. they could they could begin at the beginning. And this contrasts nicely. This is what I'm expecting. I'm expecting yeah. that they don't get the total. So this is interesting. So here, GCSE higher from 2018, you don't get the total. And this was really problematic. This was really mm-hmm. poorly answered. So to give you a bit of it here. Jack and Sardia work for a company that sells boxes of breakfast cereals. Oh, this was a nightmare. Exactly, oh. exactly. Oh, oh. oh this, <laughs> this one with that class as you're going through it, I was like, I looked at it and I just looked at them and said, this was not worth time. Yeah, and I just it's interesting, <laughs> isn't it? Because yeah, it's, it's, you it, do, where do you it's start? A, it's a beautiful problem. That they had really... Um, Binary outcomes on this was is a lot of zero or five. Exactly right. I can't remember. It was some, it was, I can't remember if it was four or five. It was extreme. Exactly the, 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 right. Uh, distribution. And it'll be it? no surprise because well, I'll give you the full. Sorry, question. sorry, so, sorry. Right, Jack and Sardia, they're wanting to sell some uh, breakfast cereal. The company wants to have a special offer. Here's Jack's idea: put twenty five percent more cereal into each box and do not change the price. Here's Sardia's idea: reduce the price and do not change the amount of cereal in each box. 
Sadia wants her idea to give the same value for money as Jack's idea. By what percentage does she need to reduce the price? And even value for money has to be properly understood as the, <coughs> the rate of weight per pound. Yes. Or pound per weight. And it's just, you don't have a starting amount to, to begin no. with. You've got so many words bombing around. And that was quite early in the paper. I mean, to use yeah, a, I think to, it was. To yes. use like a classic year 11 teacher. It was it before the Staples question. Yes. Yeah, yeah, well. yeah. You're absolutely right. So again, no <sighs> surprise. No surprise that it caused problems. But I'll tell you what, Danny, that is not even the end of our percentage <laughs> journey here, right? Can I interest you in a core maths question? Nice. Right, what about this? Myers just bought a house for £230,000. Myers' house is expected to increase in price by 2.5% a year. Here's the twist. Correct to two significant figures. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Work out the minimum expected increase in the price of a house in two years' time. Oh, so you've got compound interest, but of course, with bounds. And that could, and could have been a higher... That can be a GCSE. There's no question. reason it comes to them. No reason it comes Interesting. to Interesting. Huh. So. I never thought... I mean, I always mean to do it, to look at the core papers for ideas to stretch the higher kids or to, like, enhance what you do and go exactly. across topics. I, I don't I do it I never enough. thought of using signal bounds with percentages. And we're way. always talking about interleaving and stuff, and that, yeah. that's one that I've never seen put together, but it makes perfect sense. So you've got percentage yeah. increase, you've got compound interest, and you've got bounds all chucked into, into yeah. the mix. The most challenging question on that. Yeah, the serial, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, just a final thing to say, and this was interesting. Andrew Taylor was in the room, uh, head of maths at AQA, and Catherine had chosen a question that was off AS Design Tech. So AS level design tech, oh, yeah. because they've all got obligations to put percentages in their papers. Yeah. But it was absolutely ridiculous. So I'll just describe it to you this, right? You ready for this? It takes five minutes to cut out a single acrylic copy of the shape shown. Now, the shape shown, I'll just show Danny here. Oh. It's an F shape. Made of squares. Made yeah. of squares. 150 milliliters, uh, millimeters sorry, going across the top. Yeah. 300 going down the side, right? Yeah. So um, it takes five minutes to cut out that. Cutting plywood takes 15% longer. Calculate the laser cutting speed for each of these materials in meters per second. So you have to convert. You've got to do percentages. There's, it's... Presumably, you you've got to know air, you've got yeah. to know how to convert millimeters squared into meters squared. And is laser cutting speed presumably is a formula they know? Is that is, that, <laughs> is there a formula for laser cutting speed? No. I don't know. No, or is it linear? Like so, Andrew Taylor said he'd had a word with the design and tech team about this terrible question. That's so terrible funny. question. So. It's just fascinating to see <laughs> something like percentages, and I am in my very much my kind of secondary bubble. I don't know enough about what happens at primary, and I don't know enough what happens outside of GCSE qualifications like core maths and or even tech. GCSE maths. Because even I remember my high <coughs> school, the DT teachers talking about surface area, and me, I was like, "You do surface area?" Because yes. we know to talk to the science teachers. I mean, ideally, about making sure that you're using the same methods for showing the children speed or scatter graphs and it blew my mind that I should be talking to DT teachers exactly yeah exactly so core maths cat what I'm saying is if you get a chance to check her out oh, go for it that e excellent great. excellent session okay fantastic all right Danny what did you do period two uh, so I went to see Chris's session I love uh, so it's Christmas great Chris mm. McGrain talking about developing <clears throat> algebraic thinking I love reading the stuff that Chris writes. He's a very deep thinker about maths and he's working for LaSalle at the moment. He was a head of maths. He's currently working for LaSalle and he's going back to being a head of maths in a bigger school quite soon. So his was about algebraic thinking and it was obviously, um, there was the inevitable thing at the start that he 
I was talking to us, he said, what is algebra? And we all talked about it for a bit. And he's read loads and he's saying the conclusion I've come to is nobody really knows um, whether it is it about um, generalization of numbers, about relationships, is it a language? But the really important thing you need to think about is it's not a stunt, it's not a topic, it's not a chapter in a textbook, mm. it's not something you do for this week and then we won't do any algebra. What you need to think about is algebra is something that's everywhere, but it's not because you're putting variables and unknowns everywhere. Yes. It's the way that we think about algebra is something you should be bringing out of everything. Yes. So I'm sure you know that, well, I'm not, I didn't get to take down the whole quotation, the John Mason quote, uh, which I'm misquoting it here, but the gist of the quote is, a lesson where learners don't generalize is not a mathematics lesson. And Chris was saying that he'd understood that for a long time to be that at the end of every lesson, you should be writing a generalized, formalized algebraic proof of what yes. you've learned. And he's saying, actually, he's come to realize it's not at all. It should be more that every lesson gives the children the opportunity to draw generalities from what they've looked at. So not that they've done a formal generalization, which is what we... <clears throat> and he's come to that conclusion from reading John's work and also what would also make sense. Yes. Because I know we've talked about thinking, oh, we need to show why things work and then we feel better about it. But actually, because we're math teachers, we think, oh, therefore, if we've proven it formally with algebra that's like the apex of well, yes. that's like that's the peak of what we're trying to do but actually it's more drawing generalities don't have to be with algebraic notation and he gave lots of beautiful examples of you could still do it with pictures you could do it where you just explain the relationship between things um do it with little clouds it might be that you're learning to work backwards so he said we really need to open our mind about what generalizing is because that's what algebra is and that's why algebra is in everything so i thought that was nice. really nice um one I'm trying to think of, some, there are just so many things he talked about. One lovely thing that um, I was showing to my NQT and I really loved it, um, which when he showed it, everyone went, ooh, and I'm sure you've seen it. But in case your listeners haven't, because it's so nice, an enriched task called Shape Times Shape or Shape by Shape. I'm not sure how they've written it. So if you haven't seen Shape by Shape, go and look at it. And that's really beautiful. And it's where there are different things like triangle times triangle equals square and so oh, on. Yes. Yeah, everyone's seen it. Well, it's got he, nice colours. Chris McGrade picked this as one of his big three when he was on the podcast, one of his oh, favourite tasks. Because it's so beautiful. It's a great task. And the thing that he drew out of it, that he said, we don't make explicit enough, and this hits hurts lots of other generalising later and reasoning, is one of the ones that you early you can deduce early on is you get like star times triangle equals triangle, square times triangle equals triangle triangle must be zero because anything yeah. I mean the little shapes are all just small integers so it must be the triangle is zero because so getting the children to, be able to generalize that when they're not using numbers yes. and the same of I think you get star times circle equals star um, square times circle equals square so it must be that the circles one and stuff like that yes. so that that type of generalizing is what he was getting at I mean there's so much as we've seen going through my notes I've got they're all over the place my notes because I, I took one page and I end up filling six pages so I need to make sure I don't lose there's so much he said that I'm going to um, not do justice to it uh, so if you ever get to see Chris... He's, he's a deep thinker, isn't he? Yeah, but not in a way that... I mean, deep thinkers, sometimes some people are deep thinkers and it just makes you feel stupid about what you're doing <laughs> yeah. or makes you feel like they disapprove of everything you were doing yeah, in your own classroom. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like that with Chris at all. It's more that he just sees so much opportunity, which makes you feel hopeful about your own classroom yeah. rather yes, than bleak. Yes. Um, so my notes are all over the place because I didn't, I didn't prepare myself for how much I'd want to take down. Um, the other... So things he talked about with habits of mind and algebraic thinking, you know... Um, make the implicit thinking explicit so going from 
Um, so when you're doing some computation, making that saying what's the abstract we can draw out of it, the generalization, helping them in establishing a rule, so making little changes, which obviously we talk about that in variation theory, what's one little thing I can change, yes. but actually what can we draw out of that as a generalization? So there's always the algebraic thinking, talking about undoing stuff, so that is a form of algebraic thinking, uh, predicting, which obviously comes with reflect and expect and then check, but actually predicting is also algebraic thinking in the sense of what do I expect is going to happen yes. because of the parts between these relationships and then organising your work because that's a, when we think of formal algebra, it's a language that organises and simplifies. So actually the children being organised in their work and communicating is part of algebra as well. So that really, I really liked that as a thing of thinking how much it unifies what we're trying to do in maths. And a lovely thing, I mean, there's so much here, I'm just, I don't want to, another really lovely thing he talked about as well <coughs> was that with the children, we... A lot, so he gave an example of a sequence, so let's say you've got a sequence that goes 8, 11, 14, 17, and the children find it very easy to see it's add three every time. So the term-to-term -term rule, he's saying a lot of what the children do when they're smaller is they are seeing things recursively, so using one term to generate the next term. And a big thing we're trying to pull them to with algebra when we get to secondary school is to get them to think in terms of functions instead, you've got an input and an output, where instead of thinking output, 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 mm. output, the whole time the link between outputs. And that was, and obviously generalizing, what you do when you generalize is you are moving to that abstract, which is about the input-output way of yes. thinking. So that's something where I was like, Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, so I don't even have a conclusion it's more like this is a new framework I can use to analyse what's going on with That's the children as soon as he said it I thought oh my gosh that's what the children always want to do they want to look at what was a change from example to example rather than what's the whole structure of the change and that yes. is the difference between it is recursive is what they're thinking so I don't even have anything big to tell yeah, you more yeah, than yeah. it's like I could tell this is big and I don't even yes. know where to go with it yet and then the last awesome thing he talked about and I thought this was uh, you'd have to see an example to see it properly, but how much of primary school is learning how to use base 10 and that you're learning how to do like 41 times 53, so you're doing 40 times 50, 40 times 3, 5, 50 times 1, four t 3 times 1. And then actually a lot of secondary schools learning to use base X instead. So for example, 41 might instead be 4X plus 1 or 431 in base x is 4, 4x squared plus 3x plus 1 and so right, on okay. and how it's actually much easier to manipulate in base x than in base 10 because of course you don't have to carry when you get to 10 of it or whatever as well you've got you can infinitely move up in each column in the yes. bases so he used beautiful examples to illustrate this and this is part of why generalizing can eliminate the number stuff because the bases can there's not a cap on each column yes. in the bases so that was just really fun as well so he finally the last thing he's, he really recommended that I haven't looked at yet because it was just from today is uh, to look at a Shell Centre publication because I know you love the Shell Centre they're amazing it's a 1985 <laughs> publication oh my god one of the speakers today he, he cited something from 97 he said oh this is before I was born and I nearly died when what? he said that. I know I know I nearly died when he said that what year 97 <laughs> but and he wasn't I did, a little child no he's he was wow. a real adult, oh, and <laughs> but then, but this, in fact, I had the tiny, I, had, I finally had this moment of reprieve because this was from 1985. I was like, oh, <laughs> something that precedes me. Jeez. So it was a, he recommends it really highly, which is uh, a Shell Center publication called The Language of Functions and Graphs from 1985. Yes. So I'll be looking more into that because he said that's where he's got a lot of the thinking that he shared today, which I really want to jump into. I mean, there's so much more that he said and all of the examples he used to illuminate it made it so fun for us as well so it was really enjoyable great, uh, but yeah I had a great time 
and you you were in you were looking at Surds, weren't you? I was in Surds, so um, I went to see Joe. Now again, this is a little plug here. Joe and I do uh, we've recorded a series of videos for Tess, oh, yeah. uh, Joe's topics in depth sessions, which I absolutely love. I I, yeah. I always learn so much here. So. I love a surd. Do you love a surd? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Who hates a surd? Kids. <laughs> well, again, yeah, and that was the thing. Like Joe started saying, "Hands up if you love surds." All the hands went up. Hands up if your kids love surds, and that none of the hands went up. Now, a couple of fascinating things. So Joe, like me and like you as well, obsessed with examples and non-examples. So she showed a selection of things that are surds, but then things that aren't surds, and things like obviously Route Twenty Five isn't a surd, but also. Things like pi isn't a surd because mm. you don't want kids thinking surds are just irrational numbers and mm. so on. There's, you've got to make that connection with, with the root. She then showed an example from variation theory. She's contractually obliged to do that every single time <laughs> she does a talk. Um, <coughs> shared by Jess Pryor on what are surds and what are not surds. But then here's a good one. So what is the link, Danny Quinn, between surds and radishes? And I'll be absolutely fuming if you get this. Radishes. Give me a clue. Um, it's something to do with the, the etymology of the, the word radish. You know, you, yeah, you'll... Radical. You're, you're, annoyingly, you're as good as there. Yeah. So <laughs> radish comes from the Latin radix, meaning root, and radical also <laughs> comes from the Latin radix, meaning root. So you've got this notion that <coughs> radicals are, are, are roots, and that's why that's so great. US teachers will call them radicals, and we have this strange surd word. And she explained the etymology of surd, that's how it's so actually good. kind of a, a mistranslation, something's kind of got lost along the way. Um, I forget, I, I, I won't do it justice explaining exactly what she said, but yeah, surds, it's a bit kind of unfortunate that we use that word, and Americans can't quite understand mm. why we do, and, and radicals probably a more, a more sensible thing. She had a great recommendation. For a website that I'd never I'd never come across before, which is a maths dictionary for kids. Oh, it's so great! Yeah, I, it's so great. I've never come yeah. across this. And like you it's look, it's got at, really nice images on it. Yeah, as well. exactly. So she, so I'll just say that again for the listeners: a maths dictionary for kids. If you Google that. I'm just looking at the one which is um, for for thirds, and it's, be- it's beautiful. Yeah, presented. They, yeah, they use color really nicely. They use space really nicely. Bless you. Yeah, it's just a really it's, lovely. it's a beautiful website. Never came across that, so I, I really like that. Then you'll like this, Danny. Okay, vocabulary. Because Joe loves a bit of vocabulary. Yeah. she loves anything from the 1700s. She's loving. So <laughs> here's some vocabulary that's fallen out of use. So first, the order of a third. Oh, I said, is it squared or cubed? Yeah. Or so again, I, oh, I just so think we, of thirds as just because we have we have the higher we have the orders with powers. Exactly. So but of course, same, we have the orders. And I just think of thirds as square roots, but of course. But I suppose they're also the orders because because a third, as we conventionally think, is it's the order to half because it's power yeah. of a half. So the order makes sense. Exactly, but uh, we never we never say it right. So um, yeah, because we all just kind of call it. Oh, and is it is it third or, or like we don't really know how, have a language to talk about. What's the? We end up saying like, what's the secret number what's, in yeah, the exactly right, like, exactly right. a mess. Exactly right. So, <clears throat> like, cube nice. root of ten is a third of the third order. Root three is a third of the second order, or a quadratic third. But we just Ooh. never say it. Right? <laughs> I've got more for you. Wow. <clears throat> so, this is nice. Root seven plus root five is a surdic expression. So any expression that has a third in a surdic expression. That's you nice. like that one? That's good, that's isn't it? Nice. But here's my favourite one, right? So root eighteen is an entire surd, which means a surd that's not written in its simplest form. Root 18. Entire surd? Entire surd, yeah. As opposed to a, what could it become once it's three root two? A maybe just a simplified surd, yeah. It's entire not grabbed you as much, that, has it? 
I think I just think it was an unsimplified search. Yeah. Okay, well, I've sold you on the first two. I've sold you on the first two. Right, and then Joe loves, loves diving into, um, as, as Kat did, where when kids meet these. So year five, uh, kids meet square numbers, but not they're not referred to. We, they don't meet roots. And then in key stage three, that's when roots come into play. And they also, I didn't realise this, in key stage three, distinguish between exact representation of roots and their decimal equivalents. So that's something that I would consider to be key stage four, but that's that's bobbing around in key stage mm. three. And then by the time you get to GCSE, um, it's just higher, just higher tier are doing simplifying quadratic thirds and rationalising denominators. And in yeah. A-level, there's nothing new. And with yeah. the fact that core one's gone now, kids have got calculators for the whole thing. So yeah. it's a lot of show that questions, but a lot of the fun third ones. Yeah. Yeah, so so far it suddenly all just fall, <coughs> falls out into neat numbers just over because it was only ever really enjoyable by hand. I mean, I know that sounds really no, it's exactly right. But well, like but doing stuff do by hand's fun if you suddenly go, oh, it's five or oh, it's pi. Exactly. Whereas, what's the point in that if you've got a calculator? But Danny, you've teed me up perfectly here because I'm going to answer that question, right? Because <laughs> we were saying before how we don't dive into like the core math stuff enough. Yeah. So here's one. Um, I don't dive into the IGCSE stuff enough. Oh, yeah. So um, I had the impression they were quite formulated questions, so I never bothered. But well, I know that's, that's probably not let fair. Let me shatter that illusion. Oh, okay, good. here you go. Right. So Joe showed and shared another website, SaveMyExams.co.uk. Come across this one, no, SaveMyExams.co.uk. So it's all sorted into topics. So Joe clicked on the thirds one for IGCSE, and there's some absolutely brilliant questions because they in the IGCSE they have the calculator. So mm. they have to, but they've got to assess oh, they've had to solve this problem. So they've got to do yeah, exactly the right. So no, they have lots of show that. So I'll give oh, you a I question see. here, okay? Nice. Or, or, or variables. So yeah, so let me give you, in fact, <laughs> I'm saying no to variables. They do variables. So here you go. Given that A is a positive integer, show that entire third root 3A brackets root 12a plus a root 3a is always a multiple of three. So you get lots of proof-based oh, yeah. things, which you've got your calculator, but your calculator's not going to be much yeah, use for yeah, it. So yeah, yeah. again, if you're looking for that depth, which Joe's obsessed with, bobbing out into the IGCSE via this website, and I'll just give you that yeah, again, savemyexams.co.uk could be a good source. Of, yeah, that's fantastic. Could be a good source of questions. So I was a big fan of that. Now let me just go back to my notes. Here we go. Um, she then fires up an old textbook again she can't resist so i'll show you some of these questions here so find the vol find the values of so if i said to you cube root of negative 27 over 64 cube root of negative oh, 0. Nice. 0.001 cube root of a quarter to the power of three all these kind oh, of things lovely. which are just oh that's so funny cube root of power of three nice nice, <laughs> nice nice isn't it so all these things that just enable you to go that bit deeper which again i I brush over surge, you know, once, like, I introduce surge dead quick, we do a bit of simplifying, a bit of rationalising, yeah. a bit of expanding brackets, but again, it's if you can find the time to go deeper, it's only going to save you time in the mm. long run, it's, it's great And stuff. also a lot of strategy stuff, like even, for example, that cube root of negative 0.001, yes. developing strategies like, what if we write it as a fraction, exactly. will that make it easier? Because exactly that was a strategy right. they can use in other places. Exactly right. And then, I'll end with this, Joe, um, well, in fact, I'll do one and then I'll build up to the end. So, Joe shared, you know, the book Nick's the Tricks. You know mm -hmm. that one, yeah. So I never That's heard of the this. It's an American book. Isn't it? Exactly right. So it's a free PDF about mm -hmm. kind of dodgy ways of doing maths, which which kind of break down. So here's one. Have you ever heard of this one? To simplify surge using the jailbreak method. You're gonna love this, right? So picture root eighteen. Yeah. Right. 
So if you split root 18 into essentially the, the square root of 3 times 3 times 2. Yeah. Okay. Here's the rule. So the square root sign is a prison. Oh, and thieves so are trying to break out the prison. You yeah, can only break up, break up in, <laughs> break out in pairs. But one of gets like what caught in the bars. One so of them dies one... on the way. Out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the two three, the two threes are on the way out. One of them dies. So one three makes it out. So you're left with the three root two. I, I mean, where do you start? <laughs> that's I mean, quite. I like it. it's a good story. It's very it? laboured but very funny. It's good, hey. So yeah, so Joe wasn't advising this method. It's just but Joe I love loves that, an interesting. I method. love I love the, some of the stuff in Nick's tricks makes me laugh because I'm just trying to picture all these. Like for it to have made it in the book means all the people who wrote the books. It's, it was a joint endeavor. Yeah, have to have seen this happen exactly in loads right. of places. Exactly right. I just exactly love that there right. are teenagers all over the states being told this. It's so funny. I know. Like, I love. I love. Not that. it's good or bad. It's just mad. It's great. I, know. <laughs> I, know. But I, I love it when it's something I've never heard before. It tickled me that one, and the fact that is, I love the forced nature of it. Like you can only break out in a pair. But unfortunately, <laughs> one of you dies on the way out. But anyway. And then the final one, and I tweeted this out, and it was it went a bit wild on Twitter. So if you haven't seen this one, Joe tweeted a problem, and I'll just describe it here. It's simplify root 1 times root 2 times root 3 oh, times root 4 lovely. all the way up to root 10. So simplify root 1 times root 2 times root 3 times root 4 times root 5, blah, 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 all the way up to root 10. And it's thinking tactically about what numbers to pair together and so on. And it's it's yeah. a beautiful problem. That's so nice. So if you are in the mood for more CERDs in depth, hopefully Joe and I will be recording that video um, for Tez, hopefully sometime after Easter, fingers crossed. So, Danny Quinn, that brings us to period three. So Why did you do that? I went to, to, bless you, I went to Joe Berwick's session on maximising the effect, effectiveness of examples so it was trying to go things that I've already thought about a lot. And I know, was re- and Joe trails that a lot of it was inspired by um, reading your first book as well. Uh, I can't we, should, we should say, Joe, what, he's, what, he's like in his second year of teaching. Yeah, he just finished his. Right? I know. This is where the 1997 thing came from, and it felt, <laughs> it felt well. <laughs> he's so annoying. Like I, when I think to the thinking guy was. I mean, you were I know. Pro- you were probably like in your second year of teaching. Doing some pretty sophisticated thinking well, and teaching, I mean, right? the, All the stuff that was beginning to come out came out around the time, like Teach Like a Champion, I read at the end of my PhD year. Wow. And it blew my mind. But at that time, it was like, still like, nobody really knew what this book was. Yes. Um, like, it was unheard of. And stuff, I'm trying to think, like, you, there was Mr. Barton Maths Resources website. And I remember at that stage, also stuff like, using things on your website. Remember there's one where it's like, you have like a mind map then you'd hide it and the kids would practice right. Oh, remember, remember Danny, some of this? Danny, you're not allowed to bring this stuff up. <laughs> no, that was some good no, stuff as well. I, I enjoyed that. And also crazy. the kids loved that. Yeah. Um, but that was really anything, big. Well, well they, they had to do some, they had to be able to remember things for at least five <laughs> yeah, seconds, which was like an improvement. Well, but that was an improvement on the amount of remembering they were doing. So I remember really liking it for that reason. But that was the beginning of, because I remember with some of my colleagues we were trying to really theorise about how to get kids to remember stuff but a feeling like a really novel thing to talk about because it was beginning to bubble as an yes, idea yes. and that would have been around 2010, 2011, 2012 and it's just so, things are so different now and there's loads of really great stuff in the ATM and stuff like that which is around how to make things richer and more interesting yes. and that obviously existed for years and they've always been wonderful at that but how to get kids to remember stuff, that kind of thing or how to build in efficiency and that kind of thing was That's really yes. feels it was sort of untapped and so Joe's I mean from what the impression of what I've got today is Joe's just been thinking about that very deeply 
um, and seems extremely hardworking um, in terms of just how much he's consumed and thought about and tried and rigorously explored with his classes. And it did make me... Um, he wasn't saying it the way this sounds, but he's saying he read your book and he thought, this is the answer to all my problems. And then I realised, no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll cut that out. We'll cut that out. <laughs> and what I thought was really lovely is what he spent a lot of time on. And some of the stuff will end up being summarised quickly because he was then he spent time at the end explaining how he'd tracked different classes and things he'd tried and he was mm. trying to do controls and stuff and I mean so I'll cut to the chase and that he was satisfied that what he was trying through his classes that all things being as equal as they can possibly be was having a lot of impact on them and their confidence and so on so I'm saying that bit now to say why I think it adds to why I think what Joe was talking yes. about is interesting. So what he's trying to do was talk about things like, look at things like example problem pairs, look at things like reflect, expect, and think how can those things be put together. Yes. So what he's trying to do is instead of just worked examples, have supercharged worked examples where he'd say, he'd have the example, there'd be the question the kids are going to do, but actually the board's split in three and there's a middle column, which is reflection, which is, I mean, he may have done some quicker examples first using silent teacher and so on. He had a lot of positives to say about silent teacher. But then you get to one that you explore much more deeply, that you're reflecting on, like, what method did we use? Why did we pick that method? And you're recording those reflections. Yes. So obviously he was showing it with animations because he had the big, he obviously had a big screen. He had to just click. But he was saying he'd always have it be blank. And that, you know, other than the questions, so they can see they're being annotated together. They're gathering, they're gathering those reflections, recording them before they go on to the example themselves, which mm. I thought was a really nice way of marrying the idea of was strong about an example problem pair, but also strong about reflecting and expecting. And it also allows them to, instead of, because he was talking about one of the weaknesses with example problem pairs is children start mimicking a method, yes. but they're not learning to memorise, or not even more than memorise, to internalise the reflections and the noticing and the attending, and just even kind of the emotional journey of like, oh, I don't know what to do, oh, will I try this, is it okay to try this, oh, I know it's okay to try this, that kind of thing. And he was saying recording that together also like gives weight to those reflections mattering. Yes. And I thought that was really interesting, because obviously something like... Um, example problem pairs can feel very cold because also you're trying to be efficient you're trying to get them to have high success really fast but it can feel a bit like you're manufacturing success I mean it's, it's better than when I mean, we've talked before about you can manufacture superficial success by making things easier than yes. an observer might realize but even example problem pair can do that really well but actually can feel a bit cold but bringing in this reflection stage happening in the middle means that you're also showing how much what they think matters and how yes. they're engaging with it really matters. So I thought that was really powerful both for the pedagogy of them generalising better but also their thought process mattering and even going right up on the board. This is what Joe said, this is what Craig said, showing how powerfully their reflections matter to you and to the whole class as well. And that other kids are like, oh, I'll use what Joe said, I'll use what Craig said to help me tackle this one. So I, I love that on those levels. And I think it's, it's good for differentiation as well because if you've got a kid who can do the example problem pair what, what's the point they're wasting the time but if they're thinking hard about these mm -hmm. reflections and even I was thinking about thinking how much <clears throat> I mean I know we talked earlier in the podcast of saying how much the class have to feel like they're a community with obligations to each other that is an obligation the kids who find it easy it's like fantastic I'm so glad you get it I want you to think about is what's the thing you notice because obviously bright kids you'll say right you know what I mean kids who find maths easy you'll say how do you know and they'll say my brain told me which yeah, is true yeah, their brain yeah, did yeah. just tell yeah, them yeah, yeah. because their brain is able to compress loads of steps and that or chunk is chunking really effectively which is brilliant but actually they need to be able to unpick it in the same way that we become much more fluent through our being forced to unpick as teachers 
giving them a clarity because sometimes we'll say oh if you teach someone else you'll be better at it but a lot of the time what they're teaching to their partner is so open-ended or they're really just telling their partner what to do but if it's in the reflect stage where it's not at all about the numbers involved or the calculation involved it's just how did you know yes. that's forcing them to be much more reflective as well in terms of their meta learning which is a sense of your obligations now are to the whole class and for them to be able to have their brains just tell them what to do and I really liked thinking about how that's almost a broader character thing that can be brought in and if we're really being really pragmatic about it like we know from any examiner's report the kids the questions kids can't do are the ones that ask them to describe discuss explain and this is perfect for that right exactly. it's not just a case of doing it can you articulate can you put into words why why you're doing it it's exactly. it's brilliant so he talked about that he's trying to he's trying to like keep on seeing what else can I pile on but like I mean so it's very funny because eventually it made me think of this ice cream cone where you're just adding things onto it but it's really exciting to see what's possible though obviously it might be different phases you might have bits where you just blew um build up fast fluency the procedure this is he was showing nice examples like partial fractions as well where he might have a worked example we reflect then an example by fading where he's done half of it and the kids have to yes. finish it so they can see the reflections beginning to work you might do a bit more reflecting together as a class and now it's your turn and you try on your own which i thought was quite nice as well so he's trying to bring together quite a few things that we know can be very powerful techniques and how can these work in a unified way so I thought that was a really and it's worth lovely saying thing. that he's doing these as a practicing teacher not in any kind of no. independent high achieving school or anything no. this is just you know I think it's in Birmingham isn't it like yeah. in a city school and stuff and yeah. he's, he's making this work with bottom set year eights and so on exactly he was describing to the groups for example <laughs> that they were just having exceptional results compared to even the group ahead of them and the set above or compared to their performance when he taught this one of the groups he compared to the group he had last year and had again this year and how he they obviously the variable has changed is him but how much that difference that had made yes. the results so so i really admired that he'd been so rigorous i mean obviously we know that there's it's noisy data but it was very strong in oh, one direction course, that was course. really interesting and the last thing he talked about was covertization which is about naveen's written a lot about this on her blog naveen ritzvi's blog um which is also moving from, and this goes with the reflecting that you'd eventually wipe it out, that you begin with high prompting and move down to low prompting because eventually they should be prompting themselves. And so that's part of making, we obviously when we're teaching them we want to make the implicit explicit, but eventually you want to make the explicit implicit again yes. because it's having to come from them. So that's just really nice to think about how can we make some of the stuff we know to do more powerful to tie things together so i really enjoyed that he's good isn't he? and if you want to know more i think he's got a website i mean berwick maths yes so oh, oh, god bless him i think <laughs> for all that he's doing he's saying I mean, he's he's finished his nqt he's he's uh he's on um the normal main scale now and you can see that he's, you know, he's got his exam class he's like you know i'm, I'm working full-time this <laughs> website i've got 80 i've got 80 things on it but you know bear with me guys i was thinking you are such a hero for doing this at all so so it was such a I find it almost, I think, because because he mentioned that 1997 thing. And obviously now that I feel old, I have feeling so tender. I was like, you're doing great, Joe. Don't feel bad. This is all just fantastic. You do, like, do, take your time. This website's great. It's all fantastic. Joe, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a bit of advice out for Joe. If you <laughs> right. And again, feel free to disregard. This is me speaking as an, an old man here. I don't know what you think about this, Danny. Not saying you're old, but um, once you're in your thirties, you're so ancient. The kids say, like a while ago, my one of the girls in my form, she was reading, she was talking about the book that because I get them to do their book reviews. So she's like, so it's about this really old lady. I think she's like thirty, and I was like, oh my god, so Cara. Send her out straight to us. Sorry, so go on. Now, from the kids' point of view, and even younger teachers' point of view, once you're in your thirties and onwards, you're, you're like you're finished. ancient. You're so I don't know what your view on this, but I, I I'm, I'm going to tell the tale of two teachers, both of whom are real, but. I I won't give any names out. So I had one teacher, 
and very, both of these are excellent teachers. You could tell from NQT that they are superb teachers. One teacher decided, was offered lots of, as maths teachers who were decent, we get offered lots of things. You can get TLR positions, you can be head of maths in your second year if you want mm-hmm. to be. But he decided, no, he was going to focus on his teaching. So he turned down kind of pay increases and stuff like that. And he didn't take a TLR position, I think, for four years, five years or something like that. He's now head of maths, flying, and his teaching is... He doesn't need to think about his teaching. Which means he's a credible teacher. He feels like a more credible leader. Whereas another teacher, just as good, but I think in their second year, took a um, second in department, and then subsequently, a year later, head of department... And they're struggling because it's taken. A, it's this race to kind of progress in your career. And I think it's hard when you see, particularly if you've been to uni with other people who are not teachers, mm. and you see them getting rapid promotions and so on. You think, well, I'm a teacher here. It's not. It's a decently paid profession, but it's not an incredibly well paid profession. Mm-hmm. But wait a minute, somebody wants to give me an extra five grand to do this extra responsibility. Well, so they're asking so me to do it because they need. They kind of need <laughs> exactly it. They do need right. it to do and it. And it as takes well. a lot of character to say. You know what? No, actually, I'm gonna. I'm all right for now. I want to focus on my teaching. But my teaching is my bread and butter. The rest can come later. So I'm looking at someone like Joe, thinking he is going to be an incredible teacher, an incredible asset to the profession. Yeah. And my old man advice to Joe would be: <laughs> just focus on your teaching for now. Offers will come your way, but don't need a rush to take them just yeah, yet. Yeah, because what he's already he's already thinking so deeply. I mean, obviously, he'll make his own choices on his career, but it's also just so. Um, I find it so interesting in maths. Probably, I mean, the most extreme example I heard was a colleague this week. He was describing because he started teaching three years after I did, and uh, he and another woman he trained with are both at Michaela in our maths department. Both absolutely brilliant members of staff, and so it's just such amazing team members as well as their teaching. And he was saying of the, I think it was seventeen of them who all trained together in their part of the country who teach first. He's saying of everyone in that group he and the other woman are the only ones who aren't heads of maths or on SLT wow. in their school. Wow. So the only so the two are at Michaela because obviously there's other stuff you get but being yeah, at my school yeah. which is about focusing on people focusing on their practice like even for me teaching 10 years and being quote marks only a head of department like I think about yeah, anyone yeah. who trained when I trained they're all on SLT yes. or people who trained uh, years after me are head teachers and yeah, stuff like that yeah. which, which is I mean I kind of feel like I'm so tired and I'm just a head department. I can't imagine how tired they are. Um, So it's just, it is interesting how, especially for maths, I mean, I know that there's all this government stuff about how, oh, we need to pay more to maths teachers. There's so many things they're trying to do about the recruitment crisis in maths, the retention crisis. But actually, head teachers already have ways of doing it. They just give everyone a TLR or they put responsibilities on people. There are loads of ways that they do find to solve this problem or like I remember one of the other schools in Bradford, every single person in the department was second in maths, but with a different responsibility right, because yes. they just yeah, had to yeah. find, they, <laughs> they, they yeah. felt they had to find ways to give people the money yes, yes. Um, to make them stay. So it was just such a total mess. Um, and obviously you care about your school, you feel like you want to take all these responsibilities to help people. So there's a weird, it's weird that it feels like, it feels selfish to pro- yes, focus on your own practice, yes. even though it's the right thing for the profession and for you and for the kids. It's a, it's a funny one. That's interesting. Mm. That's interesting. Right, couple more, couple more to wrap up. Now we should say for the benefit of the listeners, Danny is here <laughs> here in Manchester with a boyfriend, Johnny, looking looking to go out for a lovely meal, <laughs> and instead we're here now recording a podcast. So we'll wrap this we'll wrap this up fairly soon. And both of you being incredibly patient here, Johnny's sat in the corner. There. So we'll do <laughs> literally period uh, three. I went to see Gary Lamb. Now Gary talked about a. Uh, talks about mastery now i'll do this very brief um 
Well, I'll tell you what was really interesting. Gary made a big point here. So Gary, experienced head of maths, he said that he could not make mixed entertainment teaching work in his school. Mm. Teachers were coming up to him saying they felt they couldn't teach anymore. So Mm. he was, I don't know, it's a controversial thing to say, but he was of the view, and again, Mark's spoke about this as well, Mm. that if you move to mixed entertainment teaching, uh, from from setted or you move from setted to mixed attainment unless you've got the kind of cpd and the time mm-hmm. to really think it through it's going to be a bit of a bit of a disaster so he was of the view that he preferred um, teaching teaching setted and that was i like honesty like that when when people kind of come out and, and share their experience but then it was about mastery and he made the point that kids have got in the five years he was speaking about the scottish system sorry six years yeah. they have 889 hours to to learn the content <laughs> And he was of the view that everyone, you know, well, why can't you learn it? And yet we spend a lot of our time reteaching stuff that hasn't sunk in. And it was all kind of obvious stuff, but really well articulated. And he made the point that mastery takes longer initially, so it feels like the mm. kids aren't making as much progress. But, and, and even our experience, we're talking about the snowball and that. Exactly yeah. right. But you get those prerequisites sorted, and then everything else that builds on those prerequisites, you just save so much time in the long run. But it's that, that initial pain point of, yeah. of bringing something in where... And I've experienced this myself where I'll be teaching something and I'll be going deeper than a colleague who's in the next classroom. And by the end of two lessons, his kids can do things that my kids can't go anywhere near. But I, I'm trying to build in that depth yeah. so that in the long run it'll pay off. But it, it's, it's when it's going to pay off. So he made the point. I really like this. Um, if you get mastery right, teaching no longer becomes a sticking plaster. It's not, mm-hmm. let's just quickly fix this, then fix this, then fix this, and so on. And then he started talking about zero pairs and manipulatives and so on and so forth. All the faves. Exactly right. Which we probably can't describe on a podcast. Exactly right. But they're beautiful. Exactly right. But he's, uh, yeah, he's Gary Lamb. If you get a chance to see him, he's, he's fantastic. Right. But then I wanted to speak about this before we wrap things up because period four. I went to see Danny Quinn. <laughs> the, the bullet train. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, what, I'll tell you what was particularly impressive about your session, Danny, was your use of the clicker. No, that was <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, thank, I had to rely on Craig's 4G data, laptop and clicker because I managed to mess up so badly. <laughs> but it, it, it worked like a dream. Now, a couple of th- I just want to ask you a couple of questions about this, Danny, if that's all right. So first off, as I really liked it, and you, you've written about this before, about being really, so this is about circle theorems, about being really precise with language. And one thing that that really resonated with me, you you introduced things, we'll talk more about this in a second, with a nine dot circle, and you'll see these kind of templates on on Enrich. But you said you're really precise with language, you don't say that those nine dots are evenly spaced out, even something like that's important. Why is that? Oh, there's so much language. So the thing that made me think about this, I love when you can hear little things that happen in other people's rooms. So my colleague in the room opposite, he teaches both science and maths to year seven. And yesterday I could hear him with the weakest group in year seven, who he just adores. And he's, we were talking about cells and he's asking about how thick cells are. And they were saying, or how big do you think a cell is? They're just talking about different things. And they're saying, oh, they're really big. And he was like, what? He's like, no, but they're only one cell thick. They said, yeah, because it's really big. And he said, what? He goes, yeah, they're thick. They're whole cell thick. And he was like, no, no, no. Okay, we're going to change it. They're one cell thin. They're one cell thin because the word thick was yeah, so... of course. Because, of course, of we use course. thick to mean large, but also thick is a measure of thickness. Yes, uh, yes. So just even this kind of thing, these teeny things that we say that we take so for granted. I In that moment, hearing his lesson, I was thinking... Of course, we all understand thick means you could be have very you could be only one cell thick, which is in fact thin yes, and so, yes. relative thinness and so on. So with the dots around the circle that we say they're evenly spaced, but even connotes 
evenness, not just regularity of spacing. Yes. So nine, how can nine dots be evenly spaced? And that kind of thing is very confusing for the children. So just noticing tiny things, but also you're missing a chance to say they're regularly spaced. And actually, the word regular is less meaningful to them. But of course, we want the word regular because regular intervals, regular polygons. So actually, it's not only the risk of confusing them by saying evenly spaced, but it's also a missed opportunity to reinforce words that we want to do well. In the same way, we used to teach the uh, the mode is the most common, and we realised we are missing the opportunity to say the mode is the most frequent to yes. get a better grip on what the frequency means as well. So noticing missed opportunities as well as potential for confusion. That's good. That's good. I like that. Now, another thing, I was sat opposite Joe Morgan, and there was a, a, another lady, I forget her name, sat opposite me. And do you know what they loved? Every time you say the word parallel, you have a lovely way of saying it. So how, how would you say? Just chuck it in a sentence. <laughs> the lines are parallel. Yeah, I'll tell you what it is. Yeah. So it's the end that you put an emphasis on the end bit of it. So I'm oh. like parallel. So the end oh, bit like for me it. just disappears parallel. Oh, because I, like, I, I say it in a Dublin accent, right? Yeah, <laughs> so people are loving it. Because I've learned not to say arc the way I want to say arc, and I say arc. <laughs> so <laughs> the kids, <laughs> and I'd rather say graph. <laughs> but I hadn't realized parallel. Parallel. Yeah. Parallel is good, isn't it? So there you go. So uh, there, there was one big takeaway <laughs> I got from that. Um, now, wh- well, another language thing. Um, you use subtend, right? Mm. And I will tell you now, and this is, people are going to shoot me down for this. I've never used that, you know, and, and I don't know what I've been thinking. So, I, Well, that's the thing, that, and that's why we moved to it, is we were just all kind of like, and then you can just see what it goes with. And and that was just yeah. so vague. We realised you were just, it was the angle that goes with this arc. And it was just all so messy that we realised, because there's some things, like I know you and Joe talked about after the ATM conference, something like, numerator denominator and Chris has talked about this our kids getting bogged down in words yes. because and I could totally get that because I mean denominator has some good things so it means the namer so it's about the unit yes. that you're counting you're counting in sevenths counting centimeters whatever so I can see some other benefits to denominator where something like subtend without subtend you're actually hand waving and being vague yes. so subtend forces you to specify what you're talking about which even though it's a bit painful at first it means that you avoid in the same way that you would try to avoid the kids using pronouns like oh we add them up we'd be like what are we adding what do you mean yes. that it actually forces you to it forces you to reveal the things they can be hiding without that word so that's why we've used subtend so for example uh in the uh, angles in a semicircle for example we'd say the angle subtending the diameter is 90 degrees which even though that feels like Ugh, getting used to it at first it, it's so much clearer about the angle turns from one part of the diameter to the other end and that's the amount of turn so yes. subtending also forces the idea of turn as well as forcing you to identify what's being subtended and where it's subtended from the circumference of the centre so that was why it felt worth it even though it's not the funnest word <laughs> yes no but it, yeah again you sold you sold me on that dream when I was, when I was listening to that <laughs> oh it's a nightmare to go through it's not a dream <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well th- I mean this brings me to my, my other question I wanted to ask you on this like it was quite a while into the, the session before we even encountered a circle theorem, right? And I'd imagine <laughs> they'd be quite a while into kids... And the dotty circles do that. They actually... It's to help them realise how much they can reason yes. from almost first principles. Yes. Yeah. And is that... Would you would you call, like... So you were doing a lot of work on shape properties, a lot of work on language before we got near circle theorems. Is that atomization for you or is that something different? What is that? Dotty circles are really fun and interesting. Um, <laughs> the language is so that as you encounter things, you're able to describe them with and be exact as you describe what you're looking at. So that was the only reason. So I don't think it was atomization. It's more that you, when you encounter stuff and want to describe what you see, 
that you have a language to describe language what you're seeing, but also sense. that language gives you a sense of what to attend to. If you're going to talk about something subtended, you have to have a sense of what's been subtended and where it's been subtended from. And you don't want that language to be introduced when you're also introducing this new idea for kids. Because you, too because you can introduce right? it without the circle theory. Yes. You can use points and chords and curves to subtend instead. Oh, that's nice. Now, the other thing, well, well, we then met the circle theorems, and I'll tell you what I found fascinating. You went for really long reasons, right? So I wrote one yeah. of these things. So <laughs> angles in the same segment, subtending the same arc, are equal. Yeah. So how, how come? Because that, that's a lot, isn't it? Yeah, so the reason for that is actually the... I mean, uh, I'll put the images up on what would presumably be a very image-heavy blog post. So things like angles in the same segment um, are equal make sense if the children have a very deep understanding of what it means to be in the same segment. To be in the same segment means they are actually subtending the same chord or arc in that case but actually there's so much implicit in saying in the same segment um, that the theorem actually feels totally meaningless as a result whereas in the same segment subtending the same arc you can then say okay here's the verb of what's going on I mean no they are in the same segment but subtending the arc is the action that's happening is the angles turning along the arc or along the chord and then all that matters is are they both in the major segment or are they both in the minor segment and that justifies them being equal so we included the subtending the same arc to force the children to think are they actually subtending the same arc? Do they both, this high angle I highlighted, including the curve, this one I highlight, including the curve, oh, the curves match, so it must be subtending the same arc, so therefore it's fine for me to say that. Yes. So it's to get them to justify that what they'd concluded actually matched the language. Yes. That Whereas is. just in the same segment doesn't, doesn't demand that. And again, it's that thing, it's more painful and slow at first, but it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pay off. Mm-hmm. Final two questions about this study. Um, this I thought was lovely, um, and we've spoke about this one when Chris Bolton returned to the show. You don't start with the nice, neat mm. versions of the theorems. You start, you said you start with the ugly ones. Well, what, what do you mean by that? <laughs> so, for example, <coughs> the angle at the centre is double the angle at the circumference. People tend to use a very um, beautiful and typically symmetrical arrowhead to show that. Yes. And they usually show it in orientation where the um, it's you know it's upright looking. Yes. Which means that the children implicitly learn and people might even adjust it where they then show that's not symmetrical but almost every example ends up being at least at, at best the angle of the circumference that's halved is always in the upper half of the circle yes. so begin with one where the angle at the circumference is off on the side or even low down but not completely at the bottom either because you don't want them getting a sense of it's always the bottom or the top and it's not um a symmetrical uh, arrowhead either and then have a lot of your examples immediately be things like you've got what looks like a quadrilateral where three of the vertices are on the circumference and one that's on the center so go straight into examples where you go hmm because that actually draws out more of what's common and yes. then you get the super fun one that's symmetrical and then yeah and then even like them building up to angles in a semicircle and exactly. all that kind of thing and, it, and, and it, cyclic quadrilaterals as well it's, it's so obvious <laughs> isn't it but I, I always start with the neat but if you start with the weird as you say it's those critical features that that are drawn out you don't you don't get kids latching onto things that aren't all that important it's i think we do them because we have such <clears> a set i think whether it's how we organize in our brain or what's so pleasing to us as teachers because they're obviously so much more beautiful to look at and we want to share that sense of pleasure yes. with the children as well, but yes. they they don't re- necessarily recognise it's even beautiful, so you're not getting much from that, but also they're just seeing symmetry and other things that are simpler as yes. well. Yes, makes perfect sense. Final question for you on this one, Danny. Um, you mentioned, we t- spoke a little bit about technology at the start, but oh, you yeah. said you, you draw a lot of these, right? And yeah. you, these weren't kind of 
printed out of templates or anything you would say you do a lot of visual visualizer work and hand draw them well, what's the reason so, for that so we have a mix like we'll have loads <coughs> of street drawn ones so in the booklet we'll have lots of examples yeah. to people use for demonstrating things but the ones that the reason we draw things out and we do it with the children is a really important strategy in any question especially if it's worded is draw a diagram mm. we're able to reason things out is to draw a diagram and actually if we don't live model drawing a diagram and do that with them it becomes one of those things that we're then annoyed that they can't draw a diagram, but we've never modelled. So things like, <coughs> even as soon as I'll draw a circle, go, oh no, it looks, I was about to say, no, my accent will make it better, I was about to say that it looks a lot like a certain kind of vegetable. Um, <laughs> it looks wonky. Uh, I'll draw another one. So also showing them that you should, if it's rubbish, start again and it's okay. Yes. Um, so partially that also even how like okay how will I place it oh, I'll draw these three points I'll draw these four points this conference now I'll connect them up yeah that's a good quadrilateral so narrating the whole process of how you make a satisfactory diagram yes. is important so they can then follow that with you say like, okay Poseidon let's all draw the circle okay mark four points off everyone got that great now connect them with some chords so they can just because even drawing a diagram is so much implicit stuff going on yes. in how we make our diagrams not crazy <laughs> so. it's such an obvious point but as you say like I've, I'm, I'm tied to I've got this amazing dynamic geometry to, to demonstrate this, so I'm going to use it. But as I, I as you say, I just then assume the kids can replicate that with pen and paper. And then it's we're annoyed they can't draw things. Exactly. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. I thought it was a brilliant session. Are you going I'm to put a blog to... post out yeah, on that one? a lot of photos. <laughs> right, so just to wrap things up now, and you're going to like this. So first off, I'm fuming at you because you should know that as conference, conference takeaway co-host, you, you're contractually obliged to come to my session, but you ditched that. I even delayed it, thinking she'll come in in a second, she didn't bother turning up. So I was just banging on about uh, something about variation, but, but that's fine. But you went to Johnny Hall's session. Now, oh, so enjoyable. So what, but what Sorry, gonna, what, I really enjoyed it, yeah, Craig. All right, all right, all right. And he's from the wrong side of the Pennines as well, so I'm, I'm fuming at him. But anyway, so what I'm going to ask you to do is Johnny is coming on the show. And I'm going to ask oh. him to speak about what he's been talking about today. Oh, I so I wonder if you could just give us a bit of a, a couple of teasers. Yeah, just give maybe. you a teaser. A couple, couple of things that you enjoyed. Oh, gosh, it's so hard. So it, almost all of it was focused just on one of his lovely newer features on MathSpot, which is around Prime Factor tiles. And he has so many lovely... I mean, there's so many great things. I'll, I'll at the end say what the person sat next to me came up with this great thing. I don't know if I can even properly give it, uh, explain it. He was doing showing us how you can think so much more deeply with prime factorization, which I know there's lovely stuff you've shown with variation theory around, you know, they might learn to do the prime factorization of 10. Now, how will we do 30? Yes. Now, how will we do 60? Yes. And then kind of my surprise them 600 and they put 10 as one. Yes. And he was showing that, but then how you can make it even more like fun, which I thought was such an interesting thing to add on. I feel like I'm really slating your session yeah, by saying that. Saying, <laughs> First show, Beric is like putting together lots of things. This is like, <laughs> this is the problem of start of like beginning to roll the thing. Um, this will be the last time you're on the podcast. <laughs> so one of the, here's a little taste of one of the things that was in Cho's session about thirds. She had talked about um, the, what's the, the solution to root one times root two times root was yes, it root, that one root 10, yeah. up to root ten, and his one of the questions he posed of what's the smaller smallest integer that is a multiple of one and two and three and four and five going up to ten, and this was oh. like the conclusion of what he'd done with prime factorization, and he another beautiful question. So he's shown how so many really interesting and fun questions are really good vehicles for practicing prime factorization. Another really lovely question was uh, two hundred and fifty times blank equals n squared what's blank and he talked about how you use prime factorization yes. so i'll leave it at that um that's like well unless yeah. you want, there were so many oh, more so yeah about <laughs> so. that, yeah there's so many really great things um and i'll share later in a tweet 
um, Mr. Harvey Maths, who was sat with me, did a really lovely way to answer the question, how many factors does 10,000 have? And he did it as a sample space diagram and he blew, oh, wow. my, he blew my mind. Wow. So that was, uh, it felt like um, a really great highlight to finish on. So I was just like, oh my God, I never Jeez, thought of you... sample space outside of probability. Well, you put that in a tweet and I'll yeah. put that in the podcast show. <laughs> that comes out. Well, that was amazing, Danny. Well, again, just again to, to thank Mark McCourt for, for mm. making this event In happen. such difficult circumstances. And for everyone for turning up and all the workshop leaders, I've had, a, I've had an absolutely brilliant day. Yeah. And Danny Quinn, thank you so much again thank you so much, for Craig. giving up your time. And I hope you enjoy your time in Manchester. Of course. <laughs>